welcome to the Money Next podcast. You're tuned into the Blockchain Summit series. The Blockchain Summit is a two-day live program discussing the impact of blockchain and cryptocurrencies on financial services over four panel discussions with 30 industry-leading speakers. This session will specifically discuss the DeFi difference. How will decentralized or open finance continue to disrupt? We will pick up on why DeFi is exciting, its impact, the challenges of adoption, and what the next stages of it are. So I'll pass you over to our event director, Mark Johnston, who will introduce you to our panel. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to Blockchain Summit. This is the second panel of today. My name is Mark Johnston. I'm your host for the next 45 minutes. Now, today's discussion is the DeFi difference. How will decentralized or open finance continue to disrupt? In a moment, I'm going to pass you over to our excellent speakers. But first of all, a word on your role as our Blockchain Summit audience. We want your questions. We want your thoughts. We want your opinions. Please add them to the chat function at the bottom there and we'll bring them into play. Okay, let's introduce our excellent speakers. We've got a great lineup for you this afternoon. We've got Michele Cotoni of Straight Street. Hello, Michele. We've got Jana Pache of London Blockchain Foundation. Hello, Jana. We've got Mariana Gomez de la Via of ING. Hello, Mariana. Hi. We've got Lex Sokolin of Consensus. Hello, Lex. And joining us as guest moderator, We've got Kate Boucherall of Gallia Digital. Hello, Kate. Hi. Excellent. Right, let's get started. We've got a lot of stuff to get through here. So, first question. Why is decentralized or open finance so exciting? What impact could it have? Mariana, welcome to Blockchain Summit. If, I, if we can kick off with you, please, on that question. Hi, everybody. Um, well, obviously, I'm working for ING as the head of blockchain. And actually, digital assets and decentralized finance in particular is really interesting to us because it shows us a way to democratize uh, access to investment and as well access, access to different assets uh, in markets, for example, or for assets that were not possible before for retail investors, for institutional investors, etc. So it's you're starting seeing, for example, a bridge uh, to different marketplaces and different type of uh, uh, offerings or services that you can provide within the finance realm uh, to different type of clients. So that's exactly what, what excites us a lot. Thank you very much, uh, Mariana. Uh, Lex, your thoughts, please. Uh, why is decentralized or open finance so exciting? What impact could it have, please? The first distinction, and so I'm from Consensus. We are an Ethereum software company. so. Uh, I will be by default the most um, uh, bullish or maximalist or weird and internet-y uh, on this panel. But maybe not. Who knows? Uh, maybe I'll be upstaged uh, in terms of internet weirdness. Regardless, Ethereum is uh, one of the core programmable blockchains out there, and it is where most of decentralized finance uh, is happening today. Uh, and the thing to us that's really interesting and exciting about DeFi is that it really is a new financial infrastructure. It is a completely novel uh, financial middleware and manufacturing software uh, that can make savings, it can make investments, it can make insurance, it can make anything that you would 
normally uh, write software for. Um, and it's all on a common open source shared public good, um, which is the, the blockchain ledger itself. And so you get to this place where pretty much all financial middleware uh, can be swapped out uh, by digitally native machines, digitally native software. Um, and you can give people access to financial services um, that is, is really at the core uh, a... Uh, a financial primitive on a software infrastructure rather than, you know, a paper that's digitized or in a core banking system or in a portfolio management system. And all of this stuff is interoperable and open source. And so we see it as really a step function in what finance can do to finally have its Netflix or its Uber moment and step into a different, uh, different ecosystem. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Lex. Um, we absolutely don't think you're weird here at Blockchain Summit. That's why we always get you back and we like your opinions. So, um, Kate, welcome in your role as moderator. Let's bring you in now. You have a question for the guys or some thoughts to share? Uh, yes, I was wondering, um, Mariana, if, if you could maybe expand on the impact that DeFi may have on traditional finance and how it may change the offering. Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much for that uh, follow-up question indeed. Uh, there are certain properties of decentralized finance that actually are attractive to financial institutions like ours. Um, there are, for example, properties such as composability, you know, the fact that you can, uh, as, as, as Lex mentioned, you know, uh, decompose one instrument, for example, and make it in a modular way so you can actually play with it, right, and then offer for example, a specific application or a specific, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, services, you know, that in, in the past was not as flexible or as easy to do. As well, for example, you have accessibility, sorry. <laughs> so accessibility is that democratization that I was talking about, right? Making, for example, finance more available to different people that in the past were not having, for example, maybe the capital in order to participate in certain markets, or maybe, for example, the investment or the amount of investment required in order to participate in certain markets. Uh, you also have decentralization, right? Decentralization in terms of, you know, sometimes to play in a specific stock markets, you need uh, to have obviously a body that regulates that, but also you need to be part of it by, you know, maybe a specific uh, uh, means of access to it. And in this case, centralized finance is open to everybody. So obviously that is also a component that is quite attractive to uh, institutions like ours. Uh, you have, for example, a lot of innovation happening, uh, offering different uh, uh, products and different uh, uh, means of investment that if you really think about in financial infrastructure uh, regulated as it is right now, you know, you could not think of those actually uh, offerings because of the risk that it could uh, mean for uh, specific uh, consumers. So uh, obviously I'm not taking away the, the role that we play, you know, uh, the role that we play is actually protective of those consumer, protective of the economy, protective of a lot of different things uh, uh, that are there for a reason, right? But it's also interesting to see, you know, what uh, maybe some cowboys are doing in another realm, you know, and then learn from that and maybe potentially uh, attract those towards the new financial instruments that we could offer in, in, in the future, right? I'm not saying that that, that will be on, on, on regulated way, but, but again, you know, we need to go hand in hand. But there are a lot of different uh, uh, things that attract us, uh, such as the ones I mentioned. For example, another one is, the, the fact that you don't have borders anymore, 
right? So if in the past you have a specific jurisdictions with certain rules and regulations that you needed to adhere to, you know, how, how are you going to regulate this that can change hands so easily and so fast? And then in one, in one second, you are, you know, owning an asset in a certain uh, jurisdiction. And in another second, you know, it's somewhere in the opposite side of the world. So, uh, you know, and then that consumer may have different uh, uses, may have different, uh, for example, be used uh, to, to different type of rules or protection, and then how all that works, actually, uh, the taxation of it, et cetera, right? Uh, the fact, for example, that, that these instruments are also more transparent, you know, we have been going uh, as institutions, financial institutions, towards, uh, uh, you know, having that transparency as well. On, on, you know, fees, on, on, on the management of those instruments, on the offering of those instruments, the earnings, et cetera, right? So, so the fact that they are in the smart contracts and they're visible for everybody, you know, gives also a way to have more clarity and to be able to potentially have efficiencies as well in the way you actually report them for what regulator. Um, I don't know if I have time to go through, through more or, or uh, if, if, if that answers your question enough. <laughs> Um, that, that's that's absolutely brilliant. But there's um, there is an additional question which actually um, I don't know, Michaela, you might want to to comment on, um, which is um, I think Mariana, you've addressed it very clearly. But the um, the idea can DeFi be integrated with traditional finance, or is it meant to replace it? Question from Justin in the US. Um, and I think. I wonder, does that depend on the specific economy and the maturity of the traditional finance that is there? Yeah, no, it's it, it's a quite an interesting question, and, and Mariana mentioned the uh, the global nature of, of DeFi that um, you know brings down any type of border, right, and and it goes beyond any type of regulation. And look, we, we we struggle from a criminal law perspective to probably have those those international standards. So uh, when you look at money markets, <laughs> it's it's just a different ball game. But that's really where we're getting to. So a question like Justin's, it, it's interesting because uh, it, it, the way I look at DeFi now is the only place where you can make money, right? Where returns are actually quite interested, interesting compared to the dull, you know, of, of the other type of market. But there are a few steps that needs to be taken before any type of integration can, can actually happen. So there are companies like out there already doing uh, steps in, in the crypto world. And I think that as an overset of the, the subset that DeFi is, which is growing, right? And consensus like others actually bridge, building bridges into, into that and into institutions. From my perspective at State Street, the question that I have is, you know, are these DeFi users potential future clients, right? Or are these markets where potentially we can play? And uh, once we, we understand those questions, then when we say, how do we integrate? Where do we integrate it? Is it just for the yield seeking or we just provide custody services to clients that want to deploy? Um, do we just do the, the cash handling or we just do the administration? So integration is a big question mark because what does it really mean? It depends on the business line that you look into. But it's definitely something that if you're not looking at it now, uh, you, you're, you're, you're losing uh, on the big upside that I'm sure that DeFi has to offer. Thank you very much for that, uh, Michele. Thank you very much for those questions as well, Kate. A really great um, input. Um, to our audience, any questions you have, please pop them in the chat. Let's hear your thoughts. Let's hear your opinions. We've already heard from Jason in the US. Let's get some more questions in there if we can. Right, moving on. Next question. What are the stumbling blocks that might prevent mainstream adoption? At this point, I'm going to welcome Jana, 
to the discussion. Hey, Jana, uh, that question for you, please. Sure. Um, well, first of all, listening to what everyone said so far, I think there's a really important distinction that we have to make between different types of decentralized finance. Um, and I suspect that uh, Michele and Mariana are more at one end of the spectrum and Lex is very much out of the other end of the spectrum on this. Um, but um, so decentralized finance can really refer to two different things. Um, well, they're similar, but um, th there's some inherent and important differences. The first is um, the use of decentralized infrastructure to transition traditional finance um, to a more digital state. Um, and I think that when we look at that um, creation of digital asset markets and the tra transition of traditional financial markets that undoubtedly has um, massive potential and it is the logical next stage in evolution of tra traditional financial markets. <clears throat> So when we look at, for example, all the work that's being done um, in terms of security tokens and taking traditional equities and bonds um, and um, recreating them as digital assets, um, that, that's included in that bucket. And it's very much the regulated end of the spectrum as well. So again, you can take things like derivatives and you can um, turn them into smart contracts and, and realize huge efficiencies that way. On the other side, you've got the use of decentralized infrastructure to create fully decentralized um, financial systems in and of themselves. And these are self-managing. There's no entity or uh, behind them. Once they're, they're out there in the wild, then they're fully self-managing. And they, um, they, they're really important as a development, first of all, because of what they represent, which is fundamentally they, they were born of a breakdown of trust in traditional financial systems and traditional financial institutions. Um, and secondly, because of what they represent in terms of innovation and massive innovative potential. But there are also huge challenges associated with them such as regulation. How do you regulate something that has no legal entity behind it? Um, so that, that's one of the massive questions. How do you also ensure that access to these is actually well governed before they're out there? Because once they're out there again, due to the, the, the technical nature of smart contracts, you can't exactly recall them or anything. Um, so, so there are all sorts of governance and regulatory challenges around those. And that's not to say that there aren't also challenges on the more um, traditional digital asset market side of things. Um, for example, our, our, again, our legal and regulatory infrastructure simply isn't really set up to cope with them at the moment. Um, and that's something that is being actively explored by many regulators globally um, and, and subject to, to a lot of consideration. Some jurisdictions have in fact started to change their legal framework so that they, um, they have full recognition of fully dematerialized um, financial instruments such as Switzerland and, and what it's done there in terms of recognizing Digitally, digitally native securities and stuff like that. Um, so both sides of the spectrum, lots of challenges, but they, they are quite different buckets of things. And, and we should bear that in mind when we talk about decentralized finance. Thank you very much for that, Jana. You teed that up for us very, very well indeed. Thank you for that. Um, Michaeli, if we come to you, I, I noticed you sit forward a fair bit on your, on your seat there when you were listening to Jana's uh, answer. Um, your thoughts, please, on the stumbling blocks that might prevent mainstream adoption. Now, those were all great points. Not, nothing to add there. I was actually listening carefully to, to Jana's points. Um, look, I think um, 
as I refer, as I mentioned in the previous um, answer, the the business case might be there from a tech perspective, and I think people are recognizing more and more. And I'm talking about from you know, you know, a fifty thousand um, strong organization. You know, th those kind of companies that have like corporate architecture of you know legacy architecture. There's a lot of work to actually get done, even to interface with these things. To the integration questions earlier, but um, so that the integration bit and the architecture bit is one is one probably the easiest one to 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 get by. Uh, regulation is the, the, the other big stumbling block that uh, Jana referenced. The, the third one, I would say clients, right? So when I start looking at the proxy, at least to understand beyond retail uh, of, of those who are using DeFi, you probably find some quite forward hedge funds, a lot of VCs, you know, a lot of companies that are actually building some of these bridges into DeFi, crypto and, 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 and the surrounding world. And they are, I take the example of Compound. When you look at the, the votes on, on Compound, you can see that probably more than half is actually from some venture capital that invested in Compound. So you say, okay, but that's a very subset of the client base that I can see probably the very tail end. So, and 30, 40 billion, whatever that is, that's still very, very small. So I'm not saying that, you know, we should just wait until it gets bigger, but we should actually build a business case that has legs beyond digitalization, right? And if it's yield seeking, or if it's uh, better efficiencies, or if it's taking down borders and build some, you know, uh, or decentralized organization that can handle things and build risk or manage risk in a different way, you know, that that's kind of my question. And you know, I'm not the uh, the super expert because I don't uh, put my hands on, on the code and see that on on daily basis. But that's kind of where the question mark is. So once we understand probably these three big. Um, big items right so the technology aspect probably the easiest in my opinion the regulation probably the hardest and then the the client benefits then uh then i think this this, this bridges can be built and, and something can come into let's call it the more institutional world uh unless you know things are built in parallel then you have a completely different universe and then it's just up to us catching up maybe in the future right so that's another theory how that can play out thank you very much michele so tech regulation and clients that's, uh, that's great. Now, now if we come to Mariana as well, uh, in your eyes, please, the, the challenges in your eyes to mainstream adoption. Uh, one of the biggest challenges for us will be the liability of obviously the creator of that specific smart contract, right? Uh, I'm looking at it from the consumer protection, right? You need to have a specific guidelines that you have to follow for a reason and, and, and we need to protect uh, the consumers. So in that sense, uh, that's one of our biggest uh, hurdles, for example, for us to start experimenting on decentralized finance. Another one would be, for example, the, 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 the amount of risks that are out there, right? We just have, for example, an intern in our team looking at different risks and, and he came up with at least 10 risks, right? For example, vulnerabilities on the smart contracts, for example, the which kind of oracles are you gonna choose? For example, scalability risk, et cetera, for certain type of, of asset classes. Then uh, we also saw that there's no uh, current standard, uh, you know, and, 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 and we are even coming up with, for example, a taxonomy on digital assets, as Jenna mentioned, you know, worldwide. Uh, there are like so many differences, right? Then when you actually tokenize an asset that is already regulated, right, like a security, there are still different ways of doing that, right? And then even uh, um, not even talking about, for example, the decentralized finance 
new asset classes that are being uh, uh, yeah, thought of or deployed right now out there. I'm just talking about the, 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 the ones that we already know. There are like so many differences that you really need to deep dive into, into those kind of uh, uh, yeah, standardization mechanisms. And last but not least, I think the transaction transparency as well is not something suitable for financial institutions that are regulated. We need to comply with certain privacy and confidentiality of, of, of uh, the transactions that we offer to our customers by law. So this is not something that we can just, you know, from day to another uh, become transparent and then just say, okay, uh, uh, you know, the Dutch Central Bank, uh, here we are and we're going to experiment, you know, that, that's, not, that's not something that, that we would be able to do uh, in such a way. So, so for us, obviously, the hurdles, as, as, as Lexi mentioned before, you know, we're in the other side of the spectrum and are, are, are bigger, you, you know, the, the, the fact that, that, that we cannot just do as, as we think or as we wish uh, uh, as easily as, because we can obviously lose our license, but, but we also understand our role and therefore, you know, we are grateful uh, for having the opportunity to observe this ecosystem, observe the evolution and learn from it and adapt those learnings into, into potentially new offerings uh, uh, in, the, in the future. Thanks very much, Mariana. So it sounds to me like there's, uh, there's a fair few stumbling blocks still to, 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 to cross on this um, topic. Kate, if we come over to you, some questions from you for the panel, please. Oh yes, they're absolutely flying in. Actually, um, I did have a, I have a question that has been partly answered actually, um, which was Linda is asking around the main risks for both retail and institutional adopters. And Mariana, you've covered very nicely some of the risk for institutional adopters. But I wonder, just expanding on, on another question, um, Jana, would you be able to comment a little on the retail adoption, particularly people don't understand how to use crypto wallets? Uh, says embedded nano. This is a hurdle for people going mainstream how do we help how do we handle this any thoughts sure so i think across the the full spectrum of of defi there's um you know there, there's there's lots of potential considerations and and pit, potential pitfalls for retail investors as well as lots of potential benefits um and wallets are, are a great example of this um basically the the types of um, the, the market infrastructure that's required to support decentralized finance, um, depending on again which which end of the spectrum you're on, is sometimes different to to what's required to support traditional finance. And um, in traditional financial services, you know, if you if you invest in something, you also have um, generally full confidence that the broker through whom you're investing will also custody those assets for you, um, and that you will be able to to access them and to um, to trade on them when you need to. Um, with certain types of crypto assets, that's not necessarily the case. That so cryptocurrency in particular, and you've got to um, you know look at how to custody those assets yourself, what sort of wallets to use. Um, and for the, for the novice retail client, these can be non-trivial questions. And also in a landscape that is just beginning to come under greater regulatory scrutiny as well. Um, it's not always clear what, um, what exactly the services and protections that are being offered by various different providers are. Um, on, the, on the DeFi, um, I'd say on, on the fully decentralized uh, finance end of the spectrum, unless um, decentralized um, 
systems have protections for um, assessing and onboarding um, retail investors, then retail investors may find themselves um, exposed to assets that they wouldn't in traditional financial uh, markets be able to access um, for very good reasons associated with investor protection and the fact that they're just not sophisticated enough to answer them. And those are some of the questions that we're going to need to start answering as we look at um, what kind of regulatory infrastructure needs to be in place to support fully decentralized um, finance as opposed to just um, the, the digitization of traditional financial markets. Thanks, Jana. Uh, there, there are a couple more questions here that, that kind of dovetail nicely together, and I think maybe Lex, you might be able to to answer these. Um, so the questions are around how does the ecosystem evolve and mature as more applications are developed, uh, and we have a challenge to um, manage exponential growth. And Nev has added, what would be the step beyond smart contracts? Is blockchain limited in its ability to bring all of that data together? linked to transactions? Thanks for the question. Um, you know, there's a lot packed into all these topics. So uh, there, there's a chance I'm going to sideways a little bit, you know, so first off on the consensus front, you know, we, we have now four proof of concepts for central bank digital currencies. We've worked with hundreds of financial institutions on um, digital assets and kind of blockchain based transformation. And, um, the the other side, which is the crypto native, the DeFi native business, uh, we also run uh, the the largest uh, DeFi facing wallet called MetaMask, with now about one to two million monthly average users. And you start to observe some trends when you're when you have exposure on both sides of the market. You know when um, when people when people are afraid of risk and uh, denigrate the crypto markets uh, as it was between 17 to 19 um, it is all about digital transformation security tokens um, when the crypto markets are doing really well and elon musk has defeated uh, warren buffett in a war of titans for who is the most important person um, fairly soundly in fact uh, then all of a sudden the the DeFi side is hyper growth and really important. And I think the balance over time and the cross pollination is really key. Um, but you know, one observation that I think comes out of exposure to both sides is that the real innovation without the real innovation engine without question is the open source community that is inventing these protocols. The, there's a lot of response to it. There's a lot of, we'll package it in this way, or we'll wrap an ETF around it, or what if we did this for fixed income, or if, you know, collateral management and so on. But the real grind is, is happening with hundreds of thousands of developers writing code. Um, and all of a sudden, they can literally write the guts of capital markets institutional desks in real time. <laughs> and get billions of assets in two weeks. And they're doing it and no amount of regulation is gonna change that. Um, you know, and it's very much like this Metallica moment when Lars Ulrich uh, is angry at Napster that music is digital and so angry, you know, let's jail all the teenagers because if only we jail all the teenagers, then nobody will trade music. 
And you know, it, it is patently absurd um, at that time to have been describing MP3s in this way. And similarly, I think we're going to look at some of the overreaction to the the high risk stuff that's going on um, as as just a discovery process. And so. Um, what my hope is, is that people understand the high risk, high reward nature of the space as risk capital searching for new opportunities. And then when you lose your risk capital, you've lost your risk capital because you've put it at risk. You know, don't, don't, don't go on the glider if you don't want to be gliding, uh, in the air, right? Like you, you can't complain. It's not a bicycle when you're in the clouds. Um, so I think the the money that's being lost, the money that's being made is very much being reinvested into a new financial infrastructure. That is its purpose. Um, and I think we are we are now making discoveries about where that infrastructure doesn't work. Um, and so some of those places are around having an underlying network that works quickly enough and processes enough transactions. Um, there are some discoveries around uh, the field of crypto economics or tokenomics, where um, the more a network is used, for example, the more expensive transactions have become and their perverse incentives. And we're learning about incentives that don't work. Um, and I think what we're going to most likely see is parallel development, where you're going to accrue a lot of this knowledge about where the networks do or do not work. You're going to keep upgrading those networks, and then you're going to start building bridges to um, the private permissioned world of, uh, you know, enterprise Ethereum and enterprise blockchain and Corda and things of that nature. Um, but I just, I just wanted to kind of put that spotlight on why you want an innovation engine and how important I think it is for that innovation engine to be, uh, you know, protected like a flame because that's really where things are coming from. Thank you very much, Lex. Thank you very much for the question, Kay. And Lex, thank you very much for those analogies. We really enjoyed those. I think, Mariana, did you have something else to add to that as well? Let's come to you quickly. I think uh, both uh, Jenna and Lex have touched upon that in a really uh, uh, yeah, similar way. Uh, and I think it's indeed really important to, to, to pay attention to the consumer education, right? Uh, for example, if I were to uh, want to participate, for example, in the stock market, you know, like you're allowed to do so, if you have obviously the funds or the capital, but you have to pass a certain exam, right? At least, uh, yeah, in, in, in Holland, you know, they ask you for a specific questions uh, so you can prove a little bit of knowledge of what you are going to invest right now, right? And maybe it would be the same thing uh, if we want to uh, incentivize, for example, the adoption of DeFi in that sense, uh, making sure that the, that the consumer at least know because how many cryptos have been lost, right? I think it was said of over 40% of the, of, the, of the Bitcoins are lost because people didn't know how to actually custody them, right? And, and, and it shouldn't be rocket science either. What the question, for example, with the nano and all these kind of things, you know? I mean, the same way as you use a bank account, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't mean like nobody knows, uh, you know, what, what exactly is the syntactics of the message that, that, that follows in an IBAN, you know? If I ask my mom, my mom doesn't even know how the IBAN is composed, you know? She just knows that she needs that, that stream of, of information in order to be able to transfer somewhere. And that stream of information is even copy-paste uh, uh, functionality that exists, for example, in the, in the normal uh, daily banking applications, right? So it should be kind of the same, and we need to move that way. The thing is, obviously, the origin was somewhere else. So now we need to move, you know, those users that are not acquainted 
those people that is like old enough, like me, you know, like digital actually uh, immigrants, you know, into this new world where for kids it's really easy, you know, to, to, to keep that in mind and to read all the instructions, whereas maybe for us it takes a little bit longer to actually analyze and to understand, you know, uh, the, the type of risk that you're getting yourself into and the type of user management that you need in order to be able to transact, to, you know, offboard, to take out your funds, etc., etc. So, so it will be indeed an education uh, uh, path that unfortunately, for example, uh, yeah, institutions need to take in consideration and, and, and that uh, DeFi until this moment hasn't because of the nature of the people that is actually trans transacting there, right? It's people that is quite acquainted with technology that is tech savvy and that, that potentially understand a lot and it has dragged other type of people that, uh, that indeed may be uh, uh, looking only for yields uh, but it has come to consequences like losing their assets, right? Uh, yeah, but I, I know so many people that has lost it and, and it's unfortunate, but, but they don't have anyone to go back and knock and then say, boo, you know, I, I didn't know what to do with it. But, but if it would be, for example, financial institutions offering these assets, we will be in a trouble, right? We will be called by, by the regulators and say like, hello, you didn't explain. You know, it's on your on your uh, uh, yeah on your books, and it's, it it should be you know you providing help to this person. So so there those are the advantages potentially from DeFi, and as well the disadvantages or the hurdles for us to be able to actually jump into that. So we need to bridge that, and I think Lex and and, and Jenna put it in a really nice way. Education, education, education. Thank you very much, uh, Mariana. The, the the passion and the knowledge of our panelists really coming through in in this afternoon session. Um, guys, at home, in, in the audience, uh, get your questions in, keep them coming. Uh, let's hear your thoughts, let's hear your opinions, keep them coming, please. Um, if we move on to the next question, is there still a place for traditional fiat currency in the future? Uh, Michele, if we come back to you now for that one. Sure, well, uh, the answer is yes. Uh, central banks still do monetary policies with... Uh, with fiat currencies and and that's what people use to uh you know to, to get paid in daily lives obviously there's a lot of new models that uh, are being talked through so you can get paid in, in in cryptocurrencies you can pay things in cryptocurrencies you can start looking at building your life and your expenses around stable coins right if you so wish to do um but 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 look the the fiat currencies eventually is, is a state uh concept linked to the specific uh, regulation in specific jurisdictions uh even monetary unions have been uh very hard to do but eventually no one yeah besides you know the country where i personally live in the uk decide unilaterally to to, to get out of it but uh the uh the solution is is um it, you know you, you can really link it to, to fiat currencies into uh thinking that a, a crypto world will, will trump that over what i think it could happen is is that where complementary uh, tools can be used to facilitate specific um specific um activities right so where stable coins can improve for, for example deficiencies in payments on cross-border or there will be cases around uh money market funds or um you know getting in and out of liquidity pools and, and facilitating uh clients and in, in, in actually accessing these liquidity pools by by using this faster tools because they they, they will live on on quicker settlement layers right or networks so that that is that is something that that um can happen but remember that at the end of the day unless the law changes uh somebody like state street with an rtgs account will have to go overnight back to the central bank so 
you know talk to them to 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 pitch that that the shift into into a crypto world and i think uh we all have been involved in some cbdc uh experimentation while we're at an or another and i think all these questions are being at the uh, are at the right places right so the right people are thinking about this and uh we personally work in a in a in a, in a consortium called finality looking at uh, a central bank like you know digital cash is a claim and and bringing new type of decentralized financial institutions that are thinking and, and, and understanding how this digital layer can be put on top of the fiat world there's always need to be that bridge because eventually even a stable coin what's backed uh, unless it's purely on the network and i will leave it to others to explain that better than me unless it's purely an algorithm deciding the scarcity of the and therefore the value of the token pretending to be money wanting to be money for whatever purpose exchange or or, um, or, or reserve you, you need to have that bridge into a um a value given by by a governor uh, sorry a, like a state uh, for example a one-to-one back to the dollar or to a basket of currencies right so that bridge is still there because it brings it to the monetary policy but i don't want to get into the money theory but i think that's that's uh, how i would address the question Thank you very much, Michele. So uh, it sounds it sounds very much like that's a yes from Michele. Jana, if we come to you, is tra- traditional fiat currency in the future? Is there a role for that? Do you think? Um, I think it depends on how we define traditional fiat currency. If we mean money in its current form, then I think that is going to evolve. But I think fiat currency still has a has a role to play. Central banks are are trusted. Um, entities and, and the role of central banks in the economy and the monetary system is crucial. Um, that said, this is exactly what central bank digital currencies are about. They're about trans- helping, about transitioning um, fiat currency to um, the next stage in its evolution. And when we look at um, you know, why stablecoins exist, they exist because CBDCs don't exist. Um, they exist because um, because people and businesses needed uh, an instantaneous um, on-ledger settlement mechanism, um, whether it's in the wholesale or retail market, so whether you're settling digital assets between banks or whether um, you know, you're, you're just um, transacting on a crypto exchange and don't want to take your um, holdings out into fiat currency just yet. Um, so stablecoins are filling that gap because there is no digital version of fiat currency right now. Um, that said, I, I do think that longer term, there's potentially a, a place for, for both of them to serve slightly different purposes um, in that spectrum of um, different forms of digital currency. Um, but I think that uh, ultimately there's, there's a place with the app currency, just not necessarily in the form that it's in today. Thank you very much. For th- thanks very much. Yes, yeah, sorry. I think that um, as we transition to, to um, central bank digital currency um, across more and more jurisdictions, it's going to also open up more opportunities for financial innovation, and it's going to really accelerate the growth of um, DeFi um, in both the traditional financial market space and, and the more fully decentralized space as well. So um, it, I think it's going to be quite a... Um, a self-reinforcing cycle that um, at the moment it's kind of central banks playing catch up with what's been happening in the industry and that's been um, out essentially out of their control but by 
creating central bank digital currencies, they'll also be driving that innovation as well. Thank you very much, Janet. You threw me slightly there, keeping me on my toes. So thank you very much for that. Um, guys, if we, if we move on, next question. Uh, what is the next stage of the DeFi evolution? Okay, Mariana, if we come to you for that one, please. Oh my God. Um, I, would, I would think uh, indeed, uh, I would like to see institutional uh, yeah, in, investors, you know, starting to tap into, into DeFi uh, protocols as well. Uh, but that's obviously wishful uh, thinking. But I do think it's necessary as well to ensure that there's not so much volatility. Uh, and then once you are, uh, yeah, stabilizing that, then you might have um, as well uh, different liquidity pools that you can tap into, uh, you know, that potentially you didn't have before. You can also, for example, uh, offload some of your of your balance sheet potentially, you know, and and. Uh, yeah, there are certain opportunities that that that, that could be worth uh, exploring. Uh, for for us, uh, obviously, the, the future is quite far away because uh, we are just observing, as I mentioned before. But I think, uh, yeah, I, I would like to see uh, uh, different protocols, for example, starting to uh, to play around and, and continue with innovation they have been doing. Because, uh, as Lexi mentioned, you know, it's a really nice way to test out certain concepts and to learn from those and then to see you know uh, how is the consumer behavior changing adapting to it and then being able to offer something in in, in a more secure manner uh, by financial institutions obviously thank you very much mariana and, and and lex let's come to you now for some more thoughts as well on that uh, what's the next stage for the DeFi evolution from you please yeah so very much agree with um with that statement, I think there are three dimensions that we can point to, which are at this point fairly, they're fairly clear. Um, the first one is definitely more regulated uh, assets. So there are a number of different packagings that um, protocols are working on to. Uh, we've got a we've got a Peppa Pig situation that has to be managed. Um, I'm talking too loudly, just so you know. Um, so, so the first one is how do you get, you know, traditional real estate or, or other, uh, other, um, traditional assets into DeFi protocols. And that, that involves, uh, traditional institutional investors, cause there's plenty of crypto institutional investors now on chain, um, thinking about how to interact with, um, addresses that are permissioned that are allowed and so on. Um, the second is scalability. And so um, there's now more demand for computation on Ethereum than Ethereum can, can really uh, chew through. Uh, and so scalability solutions in the crypto industry, it's layer two solutions, but things that kind of bolt on to the underlying, uh, let's say, clearing and settlement system uh, that allow for things to be computed off-chain and then uh, anchored back on-chain. So scalability is number two. If the volume and the, the sort of price activity and the growth of the asset class for DeFi continues, then it needs these, um, these paths to grow. So institutional um, uh, sort of boundaries and compliance on public mainnet, on public uh, chains. Number two is scalability to accommodate for that activity. And then number three is really integration into the fintech footprint. And so we've had a, f a fairly uh, persistent distinction 
between digital distribution and digital manufacturing. And so, you know, when you're using Revolut or when you're using Robinhood or, you know, SoFi or even Square, Cash App, uh, you're, you're not really interacting with real on-chain assets. You're interacting with still accounting, accounting entries, uh, intermediated by third parties. And, uh, if I'm a $50 billion public fintech company that really needs to fix its economics, you know, the, my focus for the next three years is to go into DeFi and turn on all of those asset classes. And so I think uh, from every single company that's trying to go public through a SPAC right now, we're going to see uh, distribution of underlying uh, the, the underlying DeFi asset class and the tokens that relate to those protocols. So again, I think it's institutional boundaries for for mainnet and then scalability of mainnet and then fintech distribution at scale of the underlying asset class. Thanks very much, Lex, and uh, well handled with that Peppa Pig situation that was going on there. Kate, we're going to come to you now. I think you've got some questions and some insight to bring in. Uh, yes, I know that we're getting very, very close to this has been a fantastic discussion and the questions have been flying through. There's a couple that um, I, I just want to bring in from Dan and from Tata. Uh, Dan asks, um, in what ways did COVID expose legacy infrastructures in banks and government? And Tata actually was asking around um, what kind of um, challenger startups are coming in, agile startups, to provide the services in those gaps? And would would people like ING, um, for instance, Mariana, would you be looking after that, looking at those challenges to bear the risk? Yeah. Uh, so to answer the first question, uh, indeed, I think uh, we had an acceleration, obviously, on 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 moving in a lot of things into digital. But to be honest, ING has been in this digitization journey already for quite several years. Uh, we have been also adopting, for example. Agile uh, heavily uh, worldwide, in, in, in not only in retail but as well in wholesale. So in that sense, uh, I think we are quite uh, yeah far ahead with the digitization journey. Um, we we were able to convert, for example, the workforce and and to be able to have everybody uh, you know working from home the same as other other uh, companies in in a way you know that that was satisfying to our customers. Our our net promoter score, for example, was quite high. And uh, having said that, you know, I think there's still always, obviously, uh, a lot of work to do. But I would say that uh, that 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 is, it was not uh, uh, that bad, right? We did see again the the, the acceleration on 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 that asset digitization in several ways. But as well, you start seeing that given the uncertainty for such a long period, you know, a lot of the, of the of the people, a lot of the different uh, uh, business managers are starting to think, okay, you know, is this um, yeah, something that I can sustain. How am I going to sustain it? What is going to be my strategy for that? And then, uh, you know, what do I need to uh, to keep uh, evolving? Uh, and in which infrastructure, obviously, because uh, as as Lexi mentioned before, you know, uh, yeah, digital assets and blockchain are, are really good for certain asset classes, but not for all of them. Depending on the scalability, depending on on the on the fabric you put them actually, or you tokenize them, et cetera, et cetera. So we still need to think about that bridge. It's, we still need to think about, of course, on a regulated way to, to transition towards that and, and choose, you know, what kind of technology is the best to solve that problem in that specific asset class. Uh, and it will depend, right, depending on the requirements of the asset class uh, uh, at that moment. 
that's one. And to answer uh, the, the second question, yeah, of course, uh, we, we don't believe as financial institution that we have all the answers. We don't have also all the capabilities. We don't know it all. So uh, we are constantly looking for different uh, uh, partners, you know, to help us explore different paths. Uh, and we keep learning uh, from the industry, from our partners, from, uh, you know, uh, fintechs. We have, a, we have, for example, innovation laboratoriums in different parts of the world. Uh, we have cohorts of people that is actually helping us as well uh, with certain uh, skills that, that we may not have even uh, right at ING or uh, as well exploring further other or enhancing some skills that we do have. Um, so, so again, we, we don't think that we, we know it all and we rely upon those partners in order to keep moving forward. Thanks, Mariana. That, that's, that's been fantastic. I mean, it's been an amazing discussion and we've had such a disrupted year and now we have this disruptive technology that is coming through and gonna make a, such a difference, I think. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all evolves. Thanks, Mark, over to you. Thank you very much, Kate. Uh, that's all we've got time for now. This has obviously um, promoted a lot of sort of emotive conversation and discussions. Remember to keep the conversation going. We've had to finish now, but in the Slack channel if you want. Um, my thanks to our panelists, to Michele, to Jana, to Jana, sorry, to Michele, to Lex and to Mariana. Thank you so much for your time. To Kate for your moderating today. Thank you so much for your time as well. We're back tomorrow at 10 a.m. GMT for our cryptocurrencies finally going mainstream. Okay, we hope you can join us for that to continue the discussion. Um, on a personal note, if you have any any feedback for us, please do you know drop us a line. There's a feedback group on the Slack channel, or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know your thoughts. Um, it's been great. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow for some more Blockchain Summit. Thank you. You've been tuned into the Money Next podcast series. If you'd like to listen to more from our Blockchain Summit or any of our other live events, please visit our Money Next TV platform, where you can sign up for our live events and listen in to more insights and on-demand content. Thanks so much.